uh, Judges chapter 4, Judges chapter 4, uh, we will be going through, uh, continuing our series on the book of Judges. Uh, this will be a two-part message. Uh, we'll do part one today and part two next week. Uh, that's mainly because there's two chapters to this story, chapter 4 and chapter 5. There's details in both that help each other, so we go on a little bit back and forth. Uh, and then, of course, uh, once we're finished next week, we'll be transitioning into our Christmas series for a couple weeks, and then we'll pick back Judges up again in January. And I hope this has been an encouragement and a help to you, as I know I've enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed studying it and preparing messages. Once you've found Judges chapter 4, if you could stand to your feet, if you're physically able to. If you're not, we understand. Uh, but we want to read the scripture this morning for a minute or two, and then you can be seated. The Bible says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazar, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And let's pray. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the faithfulness of your dear people. Lord, many people have driven many miles to be here today. Lord, they've come, Lord, to hear from you. And Lord, to pay respect to our veterans. Lord, to worship you in our song. Lord, in our giving and our fellowship time. Lord, now the time for the preaching. Lord, some maybe are brand new. Maybe they're just trying to figure all this out and they don't even know why they're here, but they're here. I pray that, Lord, you'll meet their need this morning. Lord, some have been coming for a while maybe and they just need that encouragement, that strengthening. I pray that you'll give that to them this morning. Others have been coming for years. Perhaps maybe they've heard messages from this passage. Lord, but today maybe they'll hear something that will help them through a deep time in their life, maybe a, a, a time of struggle, maybe a time of frustration, maybe a time of question. May they hear something from you. And be with those online tuning in today. Thank you so much for them. Or may they know they're loved, they're cared for. I pray that they'll know that uh, we're just so glad they turned in. Be with the children's ministry, the nursery, the kids, and the teenagers upstairs. Lord, all over the place, people are meeting today. And we ask that your will be done and your name be glorified. Be with the Mutchlers as they're in New Mexico. Lord, give them safety. Lord, bless their time together there as they seek to minister to that dear church. And I pray you'll just meet with us like only you can. We give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, there was a story about a keynote speaker. He was in such a hurry to get to his meeting and the venue. Once he got there, he sat down. Then it dawned on him he had forgot to bring his dentures. And he leaned over to the man next to him and says, Oh, no. The man said, What's wrong? What's wrong? He says, I forgot my dentures. The man said, Oh, that's not a big deal. Like I said, What do you mean? He says, Well, I have some in my... And my laptop bag here. And so he dug around and gave him a pair of dentures. A man put them on and said, oh, man. He said, those are way too loose. Those are going to fall out when I'm talking. And so the man rubbed around a little bit and found another pair. He said, try these. So he put it on and said, wow, those are way too tight. So I can't even talk hardly. So the man looked for a while and finally said, these. These, these will work, I'm sure. The man put them on and said, wow, they fit perfect. 
So he went up and he delivered his speech and it was just amazing. The crowd stood and cheered and you could tell it moved them. And he came down and sat beside the, the gentleman and said, Sir, how can I ever thank you enough? He says, you just totally bailed me out. He says, in fact, to show my grat- gratitude, I've been looking for a good dentist. You have to be a dentist. Where is your practice at so that I can schedule an appointment with you? The man says, oh, no, I'm not a dentist. He says, I'm a funeral home director. So. <laughs> You say, Pastor Justin, what does that have to do with anything in the message? Well, wouldn't you agree with me that sometimes you can find yourself in a situation, you can find yourself going down a journey, or you can find yourself in an agreement with someone that had you known how it would turn out, you would have never done that. And so is the case with our story today in the children of Israel. Once again, they find themselves doing evil. And they find themselves not just being oppressed, but mightily oppressed, the Bible says in verse number three. And what's interesting about this oppression is it comes from a king that's actually in Canaan. His name is Jabin. What's even more interesting about this is the first time a king in Canaan is oppressing them, because by the way, they were supposed to destroy everyone in Canaan, and they did not was Joshua had destroyed another Jabin, which was this man's father or grandfather. He was his heir. And at one time, Jabin, the Jabinites, if you will, the Canaanites, they had been defeated. But they find themselves being oppressed by Jabin. We see in Joshua chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things. Then it talks about the the battle there. Then verse number 8, it says, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them. Isn't it interesting that we see a conquered land needs to be reconquered again? Jabin had been looking for his opportunity to take back what had been taken from him. Last Two weeks ago, we talked about Eglon, how he had destroyed Jericho, that great city, that impossible city that Joshua had led the children of Israel around and the walls came tumbling down with God's help. Now Eglon is in control of Jericho. Of course, Ehud destroys him. But now they find themselves losing another capital, the capital city of Canaan. If you see in verse number 2, it says, Jabin dwelt in Hazar. Hazar was the capital city of Canaan. And what we're finding is a little pattern here. That the conquered areas are now needing to be reconquered. There is some plants, vines on my property that just keep seeking to grow. They're called blackberries. (laughs) Now, blackberries are a delightful fruit. Sometimes you pay for it getting them. With those little needles, little thorns. But I love blackberries. In fact, I could eat blackberries probably every day. As long as they're ripe and juicy and just perfect. But you know, interesting thing about blackberries is they spread like crazy. And what most people don't know is below the surface there's a root called the rhizomes. And they spread aggressively underneath where you cannot see. 
And just because you cut a blackberry down, it's just a matter of time before they come back even more powerful. And this morning we see a group of people who thought they had conquered this part of Canaan. But because of their sin, because of their selfishness, and because they had gotten off track, we see that now they find themselves not just oppressed, but mightily oppressed by the very thing they thought they had under control. My question to you this morning is simply this. What is something that you thought you had under control that is now starting to control you again? Maybe it's something in your business. You felt like you hit that plateau and you find yourself just back where you started again. Maybe it's that sin that does easily beset you. Maybe it's that addiction. You thought you had control over it. But now it is conquering and oppressing you once again. Maybe... It is a Sunday school class that you thought you had built and now you find yourself having to rebuild again or a bus route. You say, what is it in my life? What is it in your life that maybe needs to be reconquered? And how do we do this? Well, I think this story gives us nine steps. We're only going to go through four today. Uh, Next week, we'll, we'll finish the last five. But I want us to see, number one, if you're writing, the agony of a cycle. To be able to reconquer the conquered, you must understand what needs to be conquered. <laughs> you must get to the place where you know, I need to conquer this. I have to admit to this. I have to realize this. I have to actually verbally say, I need help. I need to conquer this. And the children of Israel find themselves in verse number one, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. When Ehud was dead. Now keep in mind when Ehud was in control. For 80 years they had peace. They had prosperity. They had plenty. They had peace. But once he passed away. There was a relaxing. There was an infatuation if you will. There was a forgetting. I just pause here to say briefly. Dads. Moms. Your leadership. Your strong leadership. Your parenting is important. It is important. Your children need you to guide them, to nurture them, to train them up. They need you to point. You can't just rely on the church and the school. Those those are great. You must, as parents, decide that I'm going to have the responsibility and the ability to strongly lead my children in the way they should go. But we see the children of Israel forgot, which led to forsaking. The Bible says when Ehud was dead. Ehad had reformed and preserved them from idolatry. And now they find themselves chasing after Baal once again. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I taught that Baal was really a God that allowed you to do anything you wanted. Basically, you were your own God. Your selfishness reigned. What you wanted, what, what I wanted, what everything the flesh wanted, that is why they chose to go after Baal. They were getting tired of God and his laws and what he told them to do. And they needed to please him and put him first. And they got tired of it and they started going after selfishness. And that forsaking started affecting their future. But before we get into their future, I just want to remind us that we too have the same ability to go through this agony of a cycle. Well, I have victory and then I don't. I I think I got a hold of it and then I don't. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 18, for I know that in Me, Paul says, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is to present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, 
Paul says, the good that I would try to do, I end up not doing. But the evil which I didn't want to do, I end up doing. Paul, you say, Paul, you dirty dog. You're a wicked man. Wait a minute here. He's written half the New Testament by this time. (laughs) He started multiple churches. I'm just saying that even the best among us have this ability to follow after sin. And that's why we must daily decide to put God first in our life. We must decide to spend time with God. That sweet time with God. It's more than just church. It's more than just school. It's more than just chapel if you're a teenager. It needs to be a time where you daily spend time with God. And we see the children of Israel get in this agony of the cycle. And they forsook. They forget. And it affects their future. Number two, if you're writing... I want us to see the adversary of the people. So in order to reconquer the conquered, we must first of all understand the cycle that we are all privileged to. We all have all the ability to do. And my flesh dwells, no good thing. We have to decide on a daily basis, I don't want to get back in that cycle. I don't want to get back into that moment where I have to reconquer what's already conquered. The second, though, is the adversary. You must understand you have an adversary. The Bible says in verse number 2, And the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin. Now I've already told you the king was already conquered before, but here's a new Jabin coming up. And I see the adversary first and foremost before we see their foe was their flesh. The Bible says in verse number 5 of chapter uh, 5 of uh, verse number 6, if you want to flip the page, that the highways were unoccupied. And verse number 7, the inhabitants of the village ceased. And after Ehud had died, people went from being unified, peaceful, serving the Lord because of their leader, to it all became self and selfish base. And they started going after Baal. The Bible says the village life had ceased. This was every family, even every man started going after themselves. They didn't care about each other. They didn't care about their neighbor. They didn't care about their coworker. They didn't care about their fellow church member. It was all about me, 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 and what I need. And we see that affected them. The Bible says in verse number 8, this led them to chose new gods, the Bible says. Then was war. And under idol worship, Israel fell under oppression, but also into social decay. And without God as a center of their nation... We see the outside started coming with pressure and because of their disunity and selfishness, they were not able to overcome the attacks of their foe. May I just say this morning that if you are letting a desire of selfishness, maybe it's recognition, maybe it's power, maybe it's acceptance, maybe it's the love of money to rule your life, you may find yourself also at the hand of your enemies. You say, well, who's my enemy? Is it King Jabin? No, 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 no. Maybe it's the enemy of stress or the enemy of anxiety or maybe the enemy of illness or fatigue or that awful enemy of addiction. Maybe it's that enemy of besetting sin. May I encourage us this morning to keep God at the center of our life because without God's help, we do not have the power to fight against these destroyers. And so we see the first thing, their first adversary was their flesh. By the way, you and I, our biggest adversary is always going to be our flesh. It's going to be us. But the second adversary they faced was their foe. Their foe. 
The Bible says, sold under King Jabin in verse 2. This was the first Canaanite king that oppressed them. <coughs> they are sold to the very person they were supposed to drive out and destroy. And I see their foe in the form of a tyrant. In the form of a tyrant. May I say this morning, Jabin was looking for that perfect opportunity to get back which was his. What he thought should have been his. May I encourage us this morning that Satan, even though you're a child of God, is constantly trying to get back you. Though he cannot take you from the hand of God, he can try to get you off track. He can get you to try to discourage. He can get you to get to the point where you're not serving God anymore. Satan is constantly coming after us. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, the Bible says. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so we see the enemy of the flesh, we see their foe, and it was their tyrant. Satan is our tyrant, but also we see the children of Israel's tormentor. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 2, that there was Sisera. <clears throat> he was the captain of the host, and he dwelt at Herosheth. Sisera was a mighty general who oppressed for 20 years. Verse number 3, it says for 20 years he mightily oppressed, and how did he do it? He did it by his 900 chariots. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but 900 chariots don't seem that powerful. But when you're in Israel and you have really no weapons and you're infantrymen, you have no horses, you have no chariots. Chariots can be pretty formidable. But what's even more impressive about these chariots was they had swords on the wheels. And they literally could just go through an army and just shred them up to pieces. He was very, very intimidating. In fact, if you look back at chapter 1, you see that the tribe of Reuben could not conquer part of Canaan because of the iron chariots. And I just say this, and say this to you, what is the iron chariot in your life? You say, well, Pastor Justin, you don't understand. I'm dealing with something that my parents have passed down to me. Or I'm dealing with something that I can't control. I, it's, I've just grown to accept it. And everybody around me knows that it's just the way who I am. May I say that God wants you to have victory over that. God wants you to have victory over that tyrant in your life. He wants you to have victory over that tormentor in your life. And Sisera was such a strong, intimidating person that he didn't just want enough to have power over them. He wanted to control these people. And we see it through their forced labor. If you look at the word Herosheth there where he dwelt, it is a wooded area. It was a place where there was much wood cutting done. And Donaldson said that the Israelites had become hewers of the wood. In fact, they would build these towers. They would build these fortresses. And it made Jabin feel like he was more and more powerful. Doesn't that sound familiar? I think of Pharaoh in Egypt. When the Israelites were underneath them, they had to build these bricks out of mud and straw and build these pyramids and build and build and build to the point where they cried out to God. They were mightily oppressed. And here, just a few years later, a few decades later, they're crying out again. They're mightily oppressed. Why? Both times it was because of their selfishness and sin. But we see through their forced labor. But I want us to also see through, their, through his forced laying. The Bible says in chapter 5, verse 30, this is Deborah and Barak's song. And they're recounting what happened. They talk about Sisera here. Of course, his mother is, is looking out for him. Of course, this is after what happened to Sisera, which we'll get into next week. But the Bible says in verse 30, Have they not divided the prey to every man a damsel or two to Sisera a prey? You know what Sisera would do when he would conquer a group of people? He would take their damsels and their maidens and he would split them up amongst his top guys and they would be forced to lay with him. 
He was, a, he was a wicked man. He was an oppressive man. He mightily oppressed the people by forcing them to labor day and night, but also forcing the ladies to do awful things. And so we see this tyrant, we see this tormentor. May I just say again, Satan is relentless. He promises everything. He promised Adam and Eve unimaginable knowledge. He promises you and me fun. He he promises us sparkly things. He promises us wonderful things. But what does Jesus say about Satan in John 8 verse 44? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Don't ever believe what Satan is telling you. Job 1 verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down. This gives the, the thinking of a pacing Lion going back and forth, looking for its prey. And that's what Satan's trying to do for you and me. Teenager, Satan wants to get you. Young adult, Satan wants to get you. Young couple, my age, Satan wants to get you. Older couple, Satan wants to get you. Why? Because he knows he can't take you from the Father's hand, but he sure wants to make your life miserable and make you an an unproductive Christian. And so we see this morning, 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are admonished by Paul to do this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I want to encourage you this morning to understand the agony of a cycle of sin. It does nothing but causes you grief. And second of all, we must understand the adversary we face, and that is the foe of Satan. He is both a tyrant and he is a tormentor. And the children of Israel face these same things. So what did they do? Well, God rose up someone. I think the next step in getting able to reconquer the conquered after understanding the, what you're capable of, understanding your adversary, is sort of all where to get the right help, where to get the right help. Number three, if you're writing, we see the accountability of a godly leader. The accountability of a godly leader. The Bible says in verse number four, and Deborah, and Deborah. Deborah means bee, like bzz, buzzing bee. And someone said this, Cornelius Lapidite said this, she was esteemed for foes and honey for friends. Deborah was the person who God raised up. Deborah was accountable because of three reasons. May I encourage you to find someone you can get around like the Deborah. First of all, she heard the word. If you work, look at Deborah, the Bible says she was the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoff means flames, lamps, or splendors. And Rashi said this about Deborah. She was called a woman of the lamps from making the wicks for the lamps of the sanctuary. So what did, Lapidoff, what, what did Deborah do? She was often in the house of God making wicks, trimming them, and lighting so that they could have services. Isn't it interesting how Deborah was in the house of God? And may I say the first way to reconquer the conquered in your life and to get back on track in your Christian walk is simply to get in God's house where you can hear the word. Deborah heard the word. 
Also, she heeded the word. The Bible says she was a prophetess. Somewhere along the line, that hearing became something that she was able to talk about. She was able to teach. She was able to help people. And the Bible says she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And Mount Ephraim, the children of Israel, came up to her for judgment. What Deborah did was she went to Mount Ephraim. It was the one secure spot in all of Canaan. While all this mighty oppression was going on, Deborah had found the one spot where they could have a sanctuary. And may I say this morning, though the world, the flesh, and the devil is constantly attacking us, I'm thankful we can come to a place like Grandview Baptist Church and feel safe and secure. I'm thankful this morning that Deborah had that for those people. And it was something about that the people under mighty oppression, and they wanted to get back on track, they had to get to the house of God. They had to get to the person who could teach them God's word. We see through her predictions in Judges 4-9, through her lofty courage in Judges 5-7, they ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose. Deborah was a person who not only heard the word, she heeded the word, but she also heralded the word. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 6, And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali. So Deborah realizes that God has raised her up for this time, but she knows she can't do it alone. So what she does is she calls out Barak. Now what's so great about Barak? Well, we know, we'll learn later that Barak means lightning. There was something about him. He was a man with great markmanship, though he wasn't necessarily a great leader. He had become someone who was kind of like, uh, uh, people had heard about him. There was something about him. And she had heard that Barak possibly could do what she could not. She could lead the people, but Barak could lead them into battle. And so she calls Barak up, the Bible says, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw? Now what would you do if someone came up to you and said, Hey, draw? Well, if we're watching a John Wayne movie, we know what would happen. Okay. What does draw mean? Well, that simply meant a military term. You need to go and start bringing people in. Start building an army. Now you can't do it all at once. Because if 10,000 men came all at once, Sisera and Jabin would know something's going on. So Barak starts sharing the word and slowly but surely these pockets of soldiers come. And they're supposed to get up to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor was a broad, flat top mountain. It was strong. It was beautiful. It was easily fortified. In fact, if someone got up there, it was hard to get to it. So though Jabin had control of all of Canaan and Sisera had control, he couldn't control every inch of the place. <clears throat> so Mount Tabor was a place where Barak started bringing people up to. And she says to go to the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. It's interesting. She says only go to two tribes. Now how many tribes were there? There was 12. So only two are going to cause the victory. Why are the other 10 not coming? Have you ever wondered that? Well, I'll tell you next week. Okay. But there's a reason why, and we'll see that later in Scripture. But we do know about Naphtali and Zebulun, they were probably closest to Jabin and his and Sisera's control, so they probably felt the most brunt. But there was a reason why the other tribes didn't come. And this is what she said. She said, God will draw the enemy, in verse 7, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his multitude. She says, God will draw the enemy to this river Kishon, and 
I will deliver him into thine hand. God will deliver the enemy. So God will draw the enemy and God will deliver. That's all you need to know, Barak. God will draw, God will deliver. So Barak's sitting there thinking, okay, what in the world? I mean, you got to understand, this is Sisera. This is 900 chariots. How am I going to defeat this guy? Oh, you have 10,000 men. Okay, but still, why would we go to the river Kishon? That makes no sense. But I want us to see today that even things don't make sense. If God's word says it, we know we can trust it and believe it. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I find it interesting when the children of Israel realize that, hey, this cycle of agony is bringing us agony. I'm tired of my, our sin. And this adversary is very, very real. He's a tyrant. He's a tormentor. I'm tired of him. What do we need to do? Let's get to the account. Let's get to God's house. Let's get to God's person. And Deborah says, okay, God's heard you. Here's what we're going to do. So what happens? Well, I see number four, the action of the servant. The action of the servant. Barak means lightning. And I want us to see three different aspects of his faith today. Three different aspects of his faith. And I think you and I can all relate. The Bible says in verse number 8, we see his limited faith. This is perhaps what Barak is most known for. The Bible says, Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Now, men, why don't you try that this week sometime? Your sweet wife comes up to you and says, Babe, I heard something in the garage. Or I heard something outside in the backyard. Go check it out. Okay. By the way, I will go and check it out if you will go with me, honey. And you hold my hand. Okay. (laughs) Now we say that's ridiculous. Some of your guys are like, well, let's go. You know. You wouldn't ask your wife to go and take care of what she's scared about. No, you would be the man in the house. Let's go, let's go. And then you wouldn't tell her how scared you are inside. No, and you go. But Barak says something very interesting. He says, I will only go if you'll go with me. We see his limited faith. Why? Now, I think maybe some of us shouldn't be so hard on Barak. Now, I know I just made fun of him. But if you study this out a little bit more, you think maybe there's more to the story. The enterprise in verse 7, what she commanded him to do, seemed so daring and hopeless. Why, Barak was probably thinking, why would you draw Sisera and his 900 chariots with those swords down to River Kishon? I mean, that is probably a dry season right now. The water was kind of low. It was packed dirt. It was wide open. It was a big range. Why would you bring, bring, have me bring 10,000 people down off of Mount Tabor, a 13-mile trek all the way down, where Sisera and his chariots could see me the whole way and say, come on, we're ready for you. We're going to mow you down. Why would you do that? That makes no sense, Deborah. I know God said he would do it, but that makes no sense. The only time the chariots have ever been defeated in the past is when we've gotten them in the hills, in the mountains, or in the rain, and they weren't able to function very well. The horses were too tired, and we were able to pick them off. Why would you have me bring 10,000 men just to do what all the other tribes have done and failed? You understand why Barak may have said that? I think Barak was asking Deborah because of his logical faith. The Bible says in verse number 9, And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. 
For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went to Barak. Deborah says, look, you, you may think I'm crazy. Your limited faith, though, just costs you the honor of winning this. And Barak's probably sitting there saying, and you can have my honor. I just really have my head, you know. I don't think he cares who gets the glory. He just wants to make sure he's safe. So Deborah comes with him. Why did he want Deborah with him? I think maybe he wanted her spiritual advice in doubtful matters. May I say that's why it's good to have a godly Christian with you when you're going to try to reconquer things? Because obviously you're reconquering something that has gotten you down before. So maybe, just maybe, you need to take someone with you that's a mature Christian that can help you with that. We see he also wanted her authority. Her authority would raise men up and keep them together in good disorder, even when it didn't seem like it was going to happen. Her inspiration, we see in chapter 5, he brought them. Would bring, her courage would help inspire them. So we see his logical faith, but I want to see his third aspect of his faith was his lasting faith. Look at verse number 10. Amidst all this, amidst, why would we go down to the river? This makes no sense. This is a complete massacre. I will, though, if you'll go with me. She says, I'll go. But then Barak said, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet and Deborah with him. What happened? We see Barak obeyed. Barak obeyed. The word called there, the Israelites would have known this, what this meant. For you may not know what this means, but... If you study it out, the word called means the blowing of a horn. So literally a horn was blown, and this horn wasn't just any horn. This horn meant that the children of Israel knew. You weren't just calling everybody together. You weren't just letting Sisera know what was happening. You were literally blowing that horn, and it was a symbol to God that, God, we need your help. I think the biggest thing we need when we reconquer the conquered is to call God and call his help. Hagenstein said, the blowing of the horn was a signal by which the congregation of the Lord made known its need to him. And it appealed to him to come to its help. So what does Barak do? He obeys by first calling the helper from heaven. He calls on God. What does God do? He calls the enemy to come and get in place. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times throughout the Word of God where we get confused sometimes and it defies human logic what the Word of God tells us to do. But it's interesting, when Barak obeys, we see a lasting faith because in Hebrews 11.32, we see he's in the hall of faith. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak. God blessed and honored his faith and put him in the great hall of faith. May I encourage us today that when we see, seem like everything doesn't make sense, it's not logical. It, 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 why would God's word tell us to do this? We still need to obey. I wrote a few of these things down in scripture. First of all, we conquer by yielding in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And Mark chapter 10, verse 42, we reign by serving. And Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we, we rest under our yoke. Makes no sense. And Matthew 23, we are exalted, how? By being humble. John chapter 12, verse 24, we live by dying. And Matthew 18, we become great by becoming little. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we become wise by becoming foolish. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see unseen things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we possess all things by having nothing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we glory in our infirmities. In 2 Corinthians 12, we also triumph by defeat. 2 Corinthians 12, we also are weak when we are strong. Why does this all happen? I think one of the most frustrating things to so many people is the thought that we become free by becoming slaves. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Justin? I'm simply saying we are all enslaved to something. Many times what keeps people from coming to Christ is simply this. If I give my life to Christ and submit to him, then I have to get rid of all myself, all what I like. All those things that I can't get rid of. Because if I do, I have, if I give my life to Christ, and get, I, 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 I'll, I'll go for my freedom and only become enslaved. But I want to encourage you today that we are all enslaved by something. Euphrates... Euripides, I'm sorry, a Greek philosopher said this. No one is wholly free. You are a slave to wealth or to the law or to the people you are seeking to please. But you are not free. Simone Weil, a French philosopher, said one has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility for the faculty of worship is in us. And it is either directed somewhere into this world or into another Rebecca Pippert says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks wealth is controlled by wealth. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are simply controlled by the Lord of our lives. So my question to you today is simply this. You think you're free by not coming to Jesus, where I would say you're actually enslaved to another little L Lord. Let me ask you this. Wouldn't you rather, if you're going to be enslaved, be enslaved to the creator of the world, the God who brings all comfort, the God who brings all joy, the God who is all loving? You say, how do you know he's loving? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who would you rather be enslaved with this morning? To the world, the flesh, and the devil, which actually is trying to destroy you? You are sold under sin? You say, why in the world? What's keeping us from Jesus? Well, our sin is. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Do you realize this morning, whether you're a child of God or not, at one time in your life or now presently, you were a servant to sin. You were in bondage to sin. But the Bible says in chapter number 6 verse 17, But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin. You became the servants of righteousness. Romans 8 verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You may think you're free by living for self, but you're actually in bondage. But if you'll give your life to Christ today and become a child of God, you'll become enslaved to righteousness. You'll become enslaved to Christ. You will actually be free from sin and become a slave to Jesus, which is actually a wonderful thing. You say, how is that possible? Well, you've been separated from God. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that that sin, the wages of it is death and hell. You and I have sinned and it's keeping us from Jesus. It's keeping us from eternal, uh, 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 wonderful, amazing, 
a, a home in heaven one day, eternal home in heaven. It's keeping us from a victorious Christian life. It's keeping us from happiness. It's keeping us from a relationship with God. Our sin is doing that. Jesus loved you so much, he says, I am come that they might have life in John 10.10, that they may have it more abundantly. Surely that isn't a master that you wouldn't want to be a part of. What do I have? If I come to you, Jesus, what do I have? That you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Oh, that's misery, you know. But sin is trying to keep us. It's sending us to hell. It's keeping us, it's sending us to eternal torment in hell. Where when you give your life to Jesus, you're going to have such a wonderful, wonderful journey. Do you see the difference? You're enslaved to one or the other. Which would you rather be enslaved to? It's interesting, though, that if you're enslaved to sin, understand this, that Jesus died for you because he knew you couldn't pay for it yourself. The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand this morning that your sin is keeping you from Jesus, but he was willing to come and pay for your sin, therefore you could become a child of God. You were sold under the... Under the, under slavery, you were sold under sin. You had no hope. And Jesus Christ said, hey, I will redeem you from hell. Satan said, no, no, he's mine. And God said, no, 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 I've conquered death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, my precious blood has covered their sins, and I have purchased them. I want to buy him back. Amen. Do you realize this morning that you have no hope without Christ? You're separated from him. You're enslaved to sin. And Jesus says, hey, I will love you. I will die for you. I will be risen from the grave for you. And I will come again for you if you'll let me. So what do we have to do? We must receive Christ. The Bible says there in John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to him that believe on his name. You know, just as Barak had struggled with the logic of going down to the river, Kishon, the valley. That makes no sense, but I'm going to do it anyways. You must believe that someone was willing to leave heaven, born in a manger, die on a cross, and pay for yours to the mind. You must believe that even though it doesn't make sense, humanly possible, and logic, why would someone die for me? You must believe that Jesus said that and accept him into your life. My question for you this morning is, do you believe that? Will you believe that? Will you let Jesus Christ pay for your penalty for you? My second question for you today is simply this. What in your life, what cycle are you getting tired of? Will you at least acknowledge that you have the ability to do wrong? You have the ability to bring misery to yourself. And that if you are left unchecked, you will get in that cycle. And second of all, will you understand that that adversary, Satan, is constantly coming after me? He's trying to get me. And then will you realize, maybe number three, that I need accountability with God, with his church, with an accountable leader. I need to be accountable with God. And then fourth of all, will you be like Barak? And even though it doesn't make sense, even though it seems impossible, even though it doesn't come all together, will you acknowledge, I'm going to take the action it takes and trust God and leave it up to him. Now, next week, we'll look about the people who followed him. We'll, we'll look kind of how this war took place, what happened, uh, how they came down, this 13-mile trek with 10,000 men, and the, the, the chariots were all around and, and about ready to take him out. What happened? 
Well, we know the Lord came in, but how did he do it? Well, God's word tells us. We'll get into that next week. But tonight, I want to remind us that we have to make some decisions today. First of all, do you need to come to Christ? Second of all, will you become accountable to someone? Third of all, will you recognize you have an adversary? And fourth of all, will you take the action and will you obey God's word and do what he says? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. How many would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, that's me. I, I realized for the first time today that I've actually thought becoming a child of God was slavery. But it's actually freeing. And the, 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 the sin that I chose to do and, and the selfish pleasure was actually enslaving me. And I want to be saved. I want Jesus Christ to save me. I want him to change my life. I want him to be my master, not Satan. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me with heads bowed and eyes closed? How many would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, that's me. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Will you pray for me if that's anybody there? Will you slip up your hand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I see that hand. Maybe anybody in the balcony, maybe. Maybe there's someone down on the left or my right. You say, that's me. I see that hand. Let me encourage you to say something like this in your heart. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we won't embarrass anyone. But just say something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm tired of being enslaved by my sin. And I want to be free through you. Lord, I believe and trust in you. And invite you into my heart. Please come into my heart and save me. And take me to heaven when I die. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Justin, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. Could I rejoice with you in my heart by praying, by rejoicing with you? Will you just slip up your hand real quick? No one's looking but me. Anybody? Say, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Maybe there's someone today that say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. There, there's some abilities in my life that's causing, that ability to cause me agony by my sin that I've been messing around with, I've been playing around with, I, I, I've been allowing to creep back up. And God touched my heart about something today. Will you pray for me that I'll be willing to recognize uh, that, that, that sin in my life and I'll do something about it? That you will slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone this morning that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really understand how much of an adversary Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil was to me, but it really became real to me, and I want to do my best to say no to that. Will you pray that God will give me the strength to do that, that you will slip up your hand? God bless you. Maybe there's someone here today that would say, you know what, and Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you, I need that accountability, and I'm going to search for someone I can be accountable to. That's me. Will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone, last but not least, would say, I want to be that Barak. I want to take the action I need to do. I need to reconquer some things in my life. I need to be a Barak. Will you pray for me, Pastor Justin, that I'll take the action I need? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? God bless you. Last but not least, there's, there's many this morning that have been saved longer than I've been alive in here. And may I say, we need you. Us young people need you. How many would say, Pastor Justin, if God would let me, I want to be a Deborah, if you will, to those who I influence. And I want to be the leader I need to be in my home. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me that I'll be the leader I need to be? Just slip up your hand real quick. God bless you. Lord, you saw the hands. You know the hearts. Lord, there's, there's much today we learned. But I'm praying that you will help these dear people to make the decision they need.
To some, maybe, it's, uh, it's, it's just a rededication of their life for you. For some, maybe, it's salvation or baptism. Maybe for some, it's membership. Maybe they're interested in joining. We'd love to talk to them about that. Maybe for some, it's, it's that accountability they need. Maybe it's that action they got to take. Maybe they need to understand who they're up against. And may they realize that their faith may be limited, may just be logical, but at the end of the day, if they'll just obey, it can be limit, it can be lasting faith. We sure do love, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano is going to play. The altar is open. If you're new to our church, this is just a time where you can maybe take and pray, spend some time with God. We invite you to come to an old-fashioned altar and maybe uh, come to maybe a... One of our assistant pastors, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe there's some that need to follow Lord in baptism or, or join the church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe there's others who you would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I just, I, I need some help. I need some help. I don't know what I need, but I need some help. And maybe, maybe you could come forward and uh, we want to pray for you today. Maybe you can look around you and say, I'm going to pray for that person next to me. I don't know them, but I, I have a feeling that maybe... Maybe they have something in their heart that God could could help them with. And just pray for them. And we'll pray for each other today. Uh, As the piano plays, as several make decisions, let me encourage you to just take a minute or two and spend some time in prayer this morning. God bless you. You may be seated. Just one or two things I want to make mention to you. First of all, Hannah Huffman's down here. And raise your hand, Hannah. That's fine. No, you're, that's fine. Okay. She gave her life to Jesus this morning. She prayed. And let's give her a hand. What a great job, Hannah. And uh, thank you, uh, Jaxie and Ashlyn, for explaining that to her. Great job. You can go ahead and take her back. That'd be awesome. And so we love it when our children, God works on their heart. And they give their life to Christ. So that's exciting. Also, um, talk, talk, Logan. Did I say it right? Where's Mrs. Miss Logan at back there? Okay. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Um, she came today to place her membership here. Uh, she's been saved and baptized and wants to join our church. And all in favor of Miss Logan uh, joining the church, say aye. All right, it carries. Welcome to the family. We're glad you're here. And uh, thank you so much for joining our church today. We're happy to have you here. We're looking forward to serving the Lord together with you. What a blessing that is. Okay, we have a video we're going to show, but before we do, ushers, I heard you have some cards. Okay, we have some more gift cards. If you did not get a gift card, I think most of them are going to be in the balcony, but I, I say if you didn't. If, the, if you're a veteran and you didn't get a gift card, could you raise your hand real quickly? We want to get that to you. We have one over here. We have one back there. 
and then we have a few upstairs. And uh, let's see here. Can some of you maybe grab some of those and go upstairs with them? That would be great. Uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, we'll get these out to you just a second. Uh, while they're doing that, Brother Colby, why don't you show the video? And uh, we'll get those to you. Keep your hand up till you get the card. And uh, God bless you. And thank you for joining us today for Veterans Day. We hope this morning's sermon from Pastor Layman was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a powerful evening service with our associate pastor, Chris Vestal. There are two very important meetings coming up tonight during the evening service. If you work in the nursery or volunteer as a greeter or usher, please make plans to be in attendance for the meetings. Ladies, it's here, our most anticipated event of the year, the Ladies Ornament Exchange. It will be Monday, December 5th at 6 p.m. If you have never been a part of Ladies Ornament Exchange before, here's what to expect. We'll all come to the church foyer on Monday night, and we'll have food and fellowship. Once we've all arrived, we'll make the ornament exchange into a game where you'll be given a number and have the opportunity to open an ornament or steal an ornament that has already been opened. Some ladies will even make their ornament and even more desirable by adding a Starbucks gift card, a bag of chocolate, or a candle. This year, we're also giving away a prize for the ugliest Christmas sweater. So, this December, bring an ornament to exchange, your favorite snack to share, wear your favorite ugly Christmas sweater, and join us for a great time of fun and fellowship. Don't miss out on our starting point class today immediately following the service. You'll have a free meal, an opportunity to get to know our church better, and find a place to serve. Giving Tuesday is coming up on November 29th. On this nationally recognized day, we will be raising funds for the Muchler Family Center. Please help us as we work together to raise money for the gym fund on this day. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Okay, did we get every veteran? Did we get everybody in the balcony? Okay, great, great, great. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great day. If you're a part of the Starting Point class, we'll get started in about uh, about 10 minutes or so in the Family Abundant Life room. You are dismissed.